I was just saying. I don't care about your opinion. I just well, I'll tell you what I think. What's that you're saying? Would you just listen? I don't think so. Remember, ladies, one must not get one's knickers in a twist. I just... Please listen. Shh. I'm trying to help you. Listen. I don't think so. Excuse me. Well, I don't care. I don't care. Listen. Shut up and listen. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Shut Up and Listen. I'm on location today, (laughs) undisclosed. I'm not going to reveal where I am, but it's very lovely. And I cannot even begin to tell you how excited I am for this guest today. I am just beside myself with joy and gratitude. Um, Shawnee Nichols, who I know a lot of you know, who is, to me, I I think a a poet of the soul um, and an astrologer. And you can, I check out her website every week to find what's what, what to focus on, shawneenichols.com. Um, yeah, and I just want to like jump into it. Like, hello. Hi. 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 Thank, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh my God. Thank you for saying yes. <laughs> um, I know that I had like written you an email hmm. months and months before I'd started the podcast. And it's something I never, ever do. Mm. Like, I don't reach out to people. Mm. I don't say... I just don't. Mm. Um, But I felt so compelled to just anonymously say thank you Mm. for the work that you do, Mm. you know, because you do do incredibly important work, I feel. um, And especially in the time that we're in right now, Mm. um, any kind of solace, any, any kind of hope Mm. that, that we can get, I feel that, a lot of us are, are so hungry and thirsty for, mm. you know? Um, so I want to know where, where are you on the hope scale <laughs> these days today? Hope for, <clears throat> for what? For hope life, for life hope for change, hope for evolution personally, globally. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know. (laughs) You know, it's a, I, I feel so saturated with, uh, apocalyptic themes and feelings and, and it's something that, you know, humans have, we've been living into for quite a long time. And the moment now, I mean, to pay attention to the moment, uh, right now is, is so alarming on so many levels and has been now for what feels like ever, but really has only been a couple of weeks. <laughs> like, yeah. A hundred days. What yeah. has it been? Not even, I think like I mean, 89 like, yeah, at this recording. Like just, uh, that I find myself, you know, it's that I, I was watching John Oliver or something last night and I, I, I just find myself like bewildered at the, the fact that I've even adjusted to this reality and what that means and like, you know, our I, nuclear war. I don't know. Like, it's like, is it over tomorrow? I mean, it's so, <laughs> you know, like the, the world has always for a very, for a very long time and definitely is now hanging by the thread of 
uh, threatened masculinity and, you know, egomania gone, but gone completely out of control. So it's that moment where it's so obviously out of bounds. It's just, it's just, it's the bad behavior is so apparent and, um, and also so commonplace. I mean, he hasn't been thrown out of office yet and the whole staff hasn't been either. So you're, I've just, I find myself in this kind of fog every once in a while. And it's not as, it's not as completely depressed as I was from, you know, November to really March, I think was just that numbness and disassociation and just, but it's a different, it's just a different phase of shock, I think, and still trying to navigate through you know, what's actually happening? What is he actually going to be able to do? What war are we actually going into? And it's, um, and then at the same time, there's all of the brilliance and, um, activism and strength and unity and, um, artistry coming out of every corner of, you know, the world and in a, to, to stand up and, and to balance all of that. So we're just at a really extreme moment. So I don't know about hope. (laughs) Okay. It's just like feeling our way through what the possibility of this is. And the possibilities are so extreme both ways. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I get that. And, and I don't know if you're like me in this regard, but I, I really do feel, um, and we, we talked about this, uh, a little bit before we started recording. And this again is just for me personally, Mm. um, is that I can't experience one without experiencing the other. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very easy for me to get lost in the quote unquote reality Mm -hmm. of the world that we're living in Mm -hmm. and feeling hopeless and sad and enraged and angry. And then I have these experiences where I, I reflect and I, I think there's got to be a bigger picture here going on that none of us can see. Sure, sure. And I, I hold on to my hope so desperately and my faith so desperately in the purely spiritual sense. Um, and not, not based on willy nilly, you know, Oh my God, I read the secret and blah, 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 blah. But truly based on the experience of, I've had way too many spiritual experiences in my life. And this is coming from somebody that's like a New Yorker, skeptical as fuck, Mm -hmm. you know, um, the experience needs to be real enough for me to be like, Oh wow. Okay. That's, that's Mm -hmm. strange. And maybe I should really stop and look at this from a different way. So how, how do you reconcile the, the quote unquote spiritual with the quote unquote reality? Well, I, you know, I guess I just look at everything that's going on right now in the world as so some is, is it's just, it's everything on the macro is everything that happens on the micro. And so all of the 
I mean, you just see, it's just the schoolyard antics being played out, but this time they've got bombs instead of a shovel. And that's all it is. It's, it's just human woundedness acting itself out on a large scale. And so for me, it's not that I don't have hope. It's that (laughs) whatever we, wherever we're going to find ourselves in the next 50 years is where we're going to find ourselves. And the, the point for me is to keep going, okay, that's how it's playing out on the large scale. How is it playing out on an individual scale for me? And so when I go into my own work around betrayal and loss and feelings of revenge and feelings of uh, being abandoned and all of the, 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 my own, my own wounded story, then I, then that's, that's where, that's what I have control over. I have control over healing my stuff and then being clearer and clearer and clearer about what's happening on the outside, because I can recognize it from my inner story and inner journey. And so whether or not we quote unquote make it, I don't even know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) It's not really the point. The point is what, what are we learning in the process? And, and how are we using what we've got to resist Mm -hmm. and to, and to manifest and create justice on the planet and to bring about as much change as we possibly can, both internally and collectively. And that's, where I'm interested in, in the intersection. So where does my personal work mm-hmm. meet and support the political collective work that is absolutely necessary to push back against violence and, and, uh, degradation. Yeah. So that I'm very clear that, that any kind of oppression is, is, a, is, is a spiritual, uh, it's a, it's crossing a spiritual threshold for me that none of that is okay. That, I don't go off and meditate and, and extract myself from the world and go join the yoga industrial complex to just be able to white lady my, you know, problems away. That is, that is not an answer (laughs) and it's not my business to go and save people or to like bring them shoes that, you know, it's like none of that is my business. My business is to say, how am I useful and where am I needed and how can I take what I have and put it in a, put it in a place in the world where it's not doing harm and it's doing the, the most good that it possibly can. And then how can I keep learning from that? And how can I keep joining forces with other people to try to have a collective of, of energy and, and work and heart and soul and some sort of consciousness around doing less harm I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's possible for us to do no harm, but I know it's possible for us to reduce the harmful impacts that we have on each other and on, and on ourselves and on the world. And so that's what I have hope in. I have a lot of hope in our ability to do all those things. I don't know what it'll end up being though, you know? but I also don't think that that's the point. Yeah. No, I mean, <clears throat> A, I'm so grateful that we're having this conversation. You said several things that I was like, yep, 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 yep. Um, and part of me is like, my brain is so excited. I'm like, where do we go first? Um, you know, I just, I just had it reread to me, um, by my girlfriend the other day from conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. Mm. And he talks about how 
what we resist persists and that what we look at then disappears. Mm. And when you were talking about the resisting, mm. I, I just recognized, oh, I wonder if that's even like the appropriate word mm. to use mm. in terms of, <clears throat> because when you resist and you push back, you're expelling all of this energy mm. as opposed to really looking at it for the truth that it is. And I also love that you talked about how it's not your business to save everyone else. And I feel that, um, for me personally, that was a lesson that I had to learn. I spent the majority of my twenties feeling so rageful and so angry, especially living in New York when, um, <laughs> but just, that's what you do. In New yeah. York. <laughs> that's what you do in New York. You're just a rageful, angry person, um, or completely dead inside and we're both. we're both. Um, but no one, the marriage equality thing was happening. Mm. And, and I remember going to rallies and doing all this stuff and, and really just wanting to, change everyone mm. and feeling so hopeless and that it was such a fruitless endeavor. And uh, yeah, I think what's really powerful and what's really important is to name the lie in a very consistent, straightforward, relentless way, mm -hmm. which is of course what Maxine Waters does, which is why she's striking such a chord right now. Cause through just the halls of continual lies and bullshit, she is a resounding, no, that is a lie. And yes. I'm going to hold you to it. And I, and, and same with Elizabeth Warren and you know, these, these, um, these people that can come out and call it as it is. And I just had an experience with this a little while ago in, in a, in a personal situation that, uh, me and my wife were in. And it was like, it's not important to, so when, when you were talking about is resisting the right word, I think it's so important. Whatever word you want to use is to say that is a lie. That is a lie that what just, this is what happened. And I'm not, it's not about taking it personally. It's not about you being mean. It's not about any of that. Sh it's about that is not right. That is a lie. It's wrong. And being on point like that, I think is very important in these days when nothing is a fact for, for as long as the person's, it's only a fact for as long as it's coming out of somebody's mouth and yeah. then they can say that's not the thing. Yeah. And so it's like, where in our lives are we, have we not able, been able to call out the lie? So when we were little, how did our, how, what were the lies in our household? Mm -hmm. what, what lies were we asked to keep? Mm -hmm. What lies were we asked to live out? Yeah. What lies were we asked to hold for other people? <clears throat> about ourselves, about, about our family, about everybody else. And how, and that psychological thing that happens to us that keeps us locked down or locked in to an agreement with somebody or something, usually in our family yeah. is so potent. And all these bully figures prey on that. And so it just, it keeps going back to the, like, how am I working psychologically with myself? Do I have the courage? Do I have the tools? Am I able to find my way through and say, and break that silence? It's like, you know, this huge wave of like archaic misogyny and racism and just 
like, really, we're back here? But it's so important because it brings up also all of the things inside of us that we are honestly still too afraid to call out. And so when you see somebody like Maxine Waters call it, it calls up something in us that goes, I want to do that. I want to be able to, to name the lie. I yeah. want to be able to have that much courage. Yeah. I want to, I want to be able to be there. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's telling the truth about the lie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, again, I, I love what you said, but because I, I feel like, <clears throat> I believe that we're all on an internal hero's journey, you know, um, in different, in different aspects and different moments. Um, we just had a, we just had a guest dropping off the Amazon packages. <laughs> um, it's okay. Um, it's life, right? <laughs> um, but like the, you know, where is anyone in their own personal hero's journey. And with that too, I personally feel that, um, if we're awake enough, you know, that the lies become too uncomfortable, mm. you know, and you talked originally about wounds, you know, uh-huh. um, talked originally about wounds and primal wounds and origin wounds And what I found is that the biggest desire that everyone has is to be seen. Mm. And the biggest fear that everyone has Mm -hmm. is truly being seen Mm -hmm. and then not held in love. Mm. That they're going to find out that the thing that they are most scared of is true, Mm. which is that they are unworthy of love. Mm. Um, And, you know, what happens like when you scrape your knee? It hurts, but then you flinch at the thought of hydrogen peroxide. It's like the healing mm. of the wound mm. becomes much more terrifying than the wound itself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, unless you're a narcissist, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues at play here, right? Like mm-hmm. we don't all we don't we don't all I don't think we're all playing that game. The moment you point out to a narcissist anything that the narcissist doesn't want or doesn't believe, Gaslighting. you then yeah. right, are the bully. Yes. You then are the problem. Yes. And so there's no ability to reflect there. Yeah. No, I get that. It becomes the question. Like we have we need to learn as a collective about narcissism <laughs> and how to deal with it. Like how do you actually how do you how do you exist and in a, in the situation that is that harmful. Yeah. And so I'm going to ask you something. Did you grow up with a narcissist? I grew up with, um, many, many addicts. And I grew up with, um, many people that were, I don't know if we technically call them narcissists, but I definitely grew up with a lot of people that were, uh, very concerned and very um, consumed with their own, I would say their own pain. Yeah. And the way that they were able to deal with that pain was to self-medicate, I would yeah. say. Yeah. And, and I think that <clears throat> if there's an issue and you add drugs and alcohol to it, 
then the issue becomes distorted and almost something else. And so what I, what I experienced was a lot of people very distorted. Um, and so when you add drugs and alcohol to any kind of pain or any kind of suffering, um, it creates a kind of narcissism, yeah. right? Cause it's very tempting, especially when you're intoxicated a lot to be very consumed with how awful everything feels because <laughs> you're in a constant state of either feeling great or feeling really bad. Yeah. And so that kind of extreme situation creates more of the problem and feeds into all the things and all the behaviors that one does. When yeah. No, that not makes... needing to be responsible for their situation. So I grew up in a party. Okay. You know, I grew up in a little town in British Columbia, Canada, where everyone was just partying Yeah, and nobody, nobody felt responsible to create anything, uh, outside of their own experience of having fun and being completely outside of society's rules. They were hippies without a cause. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. They were just into sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but there was no politics. Yeah. So there was no, there was no movement besides breaking free of the paradigm of the sixties. Yeah. So. Okay. Okay. So it was, it was, uh, th- there was no greater cause, you know, that they were fighting for. They were just wanting to do what they wanted to do. Okay. And they did. And how was that for you? It's like not a, is, it's not a, it's not a place for, it's not a place for children. Yeah. <laughs> so me and my friends have this very interesting, uh, experience of growing up in the, being the kids at the party. And I always joke, we were like Lord of the Flies. <laughs> like we were this, like, this like pack of children that like nobody was watching. No one was paying attention. No one was like, we just did and we could do whatever we wanted, but we also weren't, we also weren't, um, we weren't watched over. We weren't protected. Okay. So, uh, so I have a lot of, I have a lot of gratitude for the nature that I grew up in. And I, I, you know, I am who I am because of the quote unquote alternative type of lifestyle that I grew up in. Like I, no one had to be anything, right? You could, whatever. If you didn't want to go to school, you didn't, it was just like, it was really very loose on the rules, um, which makes me a lover of rules. (laughs) Me, someone who craves structure and rules and rigor, um, but it also made me a free thinker and made me able to. I've had a lot of very bizarre experiences and um, lived in a lot of different types of situations um, that maybe most people in the city may not have the experience of living. So, yeah. Then and I've lived in the city too, and so yeah. Okay, okay. No, because that's um, <clears throat> it struck me when when you were talking about um, a narcissist behavior in regards to. I mean, it really is gaslighting. Where mm. it's no, this didn't really happen. Mm. This didn't really happen, or the hijacking of feelings. Right where it's you're upset and you have a very valid reason to be upset. And then I make it all about me Yeah, and how there's no winning. Yeah. There's, there's there's no winning. There's no way out. You can't, you can't address anything with a narcissist. Yeah. There's no, there's no way to do it. So, you know, I'm, I'm like, how do you, that's the, it's the question. So then what do you do? 
And when you grow up with narcissists or when you're in that, and I didn't grow up with those kind of narcissists, but, but when I'm in situations at this point in my life where I have quite a few around me and it's really impossible. There's no, you have to remove yourself from it. Yeah. But when it's the president of the United States, then, then what is it that we, we have to be able to dismantle his power (laughs) and take it down. Yeah. And, and, you know, that goes back to your point about Maxine Waters and Elizabeth Warren and countless others that are speaking up and out. I grew up with a narcissist. Mm. Um, and I didn't know that Mm. they were a narcissist Mm. because again, it's, um, I only know my experience. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so growing, what's it like for you to see this happen on like play out on a world stage? Well, my experience is that I, I cut ties mm-hmm. about four or five years ago mm-hmm. because you don't know that you are growing up in toxicity mm-hmm. until somebody else is like, that might be a little toxic, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I talked about it as like growing up in an emotional landmine mm-hmm. and never knowing, yeah. um, when something might cause the landmine to erupt. Right. So I, I got really good at walking on the balls of my feet, literally and figuratively mm-hmm. and really believing to a certain degree that, um, not that like I was crazy, mm-hmm. but that the seed that was instilled in me was mm-hmm. that um, when I have a feeling mm-hmm. that causes pain in other people. Mm-hmm. Right. And so therefore, right. it's more important for me to not have feelings. Right. So they don't get upset right. or angry. Right. So it's, you need to survive. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's self-preservation. So in the face of this presidency, that's where we all have to kind of live in. Like, am I shutting down to survive? And, and for some people that's a legitimate yeah. thing to do, if, yeah. especially if they're more vulnerable within yeah. this context and this new environment that we're in. But for us each to be kind of cognizant of that, like, and how that plays, because those psychological landmines and situations are so deeply ingrained in us. Anybody who's sensitive and anybody who grew up with alcoholics or addicts or narcissists or whatever is going to be that person that's feeling out. Like, how do we get through this? (laughs) How do I survive this? And when can I leave? Absolutely. And so for us, that's again, the personal work is for me to be like, am I, am I shutting down again? Because I'm moving into survival mode. And is that the only is that the only option for me at this moment yeah. within this kind of political context? Yeah. Um, and then again, just keep watch, keeping watching it unfold in my personal life. Um, because it really, it really goes down to that ability to locate what's happening for me emotionally and to be like, Oh, I'm just in that thing. Yeah. So now I've got a choice. I can either push back and name the thing that's mm-hmm. happening. Yes. Or I can recede. Yes. Or I can, evade. Mm -hmm. I've got all those choices, but not until I understand what it is that's getting triggered in me. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that requires uh, courage and it requires a willingness and Mm -hmm. it requires an awareness Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so I feel like for me, the last few years to a certain degree, and I feel like this is such a fucking narcissistic statement. <laughs> um, and I really don't mean it to be, um, but like the universe was preparing me in my own way, um, to deal with on a micro level and then a macro level, everything that's going on in our country. So when it comes to that person mm. that is in the white house right now mm-hmm. and everyone that's around right. him right. and between Korea and Syria and then looking what's what's happening in France and by mm-hmm. the time this mm-hmm. comes out we will know who the new president is mm-hmm. of that country um I'm continually brought back to I'd spent my whole entire life taking care of others to one degree or another mm-hmm. and that my feelings didn't really matter, mm-hmm. that their feelings were more important and mm-hmm. like this is just how it is. Mm-hmm. And before we had recorded this, when I was um, just coming in, we had talked about that sense of self and autonomy and voice and finding one's voice and the reemergence and getting to see that for me, I'm taking care of me Mm -hmm. and I am like, I'm staying in my lane, meaning that I know the gifts and talents that I have to be able to create change and that it's not my job to wake other people up. Like it's not my job. Like if you want to sleep, stay asleep, but my job and my responsibility, and I feel like a bigger purpose is continually to tell the truth Mm. and, um, to keep my arms open wide for those that are just waking up out Mm. of their slumber Mm. and are saying, wait a second, what's going on? Mm. Um, and sharing my experience. I never use the word should mm. um, because I, again, all I've got at the end of the day is my experience and that somebody's journey might be very different than mine. And who am I to say? Mm-hmm. Like, who am I to say what any person can do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I get to utilize my story and I get to utilize my journey mm-hmm. in terms of being honest about my PTSD my depression, my experience with entheogens mm-hmm. to treat that depression and PTSD, mm-hmm. to be honest about my, um, you know, dark night of the soul regarding mm-hmm. coming very close to killing myself several times. So even though <clears throat> we have this thing going on, in this house that is white um, with these individuals that are absolutely fucking insane. Mm. I find at the end of the day, you and I have very different stories, Mm. you know, externally. Mm -hmm. However, the feelings are the same, Mm -hmm. you know, the feelings of loss, the feelings of pain, Mm -hmm. the feelings of rage, the feelings of abandonment, you know, the, I've got to survive any single way that I know how, um, 
that I can't spend a moment being vulnerable in terms of getting to be received. Mm -hmm. I've just got to stay alive. Mm -hmm. And, and so getting to share that and if other people identify and they are able to say, wow, me too. And that gives them a little bit of hope Mm -hmm. that makes them feel a little more powerful and secure in their personhood. Mm -hmm. Um, what affects one affects the other. Mm. You know what I mean? So like that, that to me is how mm. I'm dealing with all of that mm-hmm. is that I cut ties with the narcissist. I mm-hmm. did a lot of fucking work mm-hmm. and I continue to do a lot of work and, you know, calling out my own bullshit, getting to be honest, getting to say when my feelings are hurt, getting to admit when I'm wrong, you know, um, because I have no other choice. It's Mm -hmm. grow or die. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like that's it. Mm -hmm. And the ones that are meant to, um, receive this or are open to receive this, you know, in my own little patchwork quilt. Um, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Well, I think you, you kind of touched on it a couple of times, but I think what's most important and what, isn't necessarily talked about a lot, but when you suffer any kind of trauma or abuse or neglect, especially growing up, um, I think what's really essential is that, and what we have to do is take time out to be, or not out of life, but to be able to build a sense of self. Because when we don't have a sense of self, we are very, um, we're very mutable. We're very, very malleable and we're very swayed by, our own mental health issues. We're very swayed by the drama and tragedy of that just occurs in life. Mm-hmm. We're very swayed by multiple things that happen. And so the, the more we're able to develop a sturdy sense of self, like a healthy type of ego identity, even, um, that, that the more we're able to hold all of these feelings and all of these experiences and, and be able to have a kind of context for them. But the moment, or until that moment, until we've developed that sense of self, all of this is very overwhelming. And it's too much really to ask anybody to, to find a way, you know, through kind of on a broader scale, um, politically or collectively to really be able to lead or move in any kind of way until we really know who we are and how to hold the things that go on inside of us. And that's what we don't see a lot in the world, especially, again, at the, at the moment. We don't see leaders or people in positions of power that are able to hold their own emotional material yeah. and have dignity with it and be able to process things and be able to not react from a place of, um, from a place of ego, from a place of inflated sense of self. Um, and so developing that, is so important. You just, I mean, we, me and my wife are always like healing. Like everybody just needs to go to therapy or whatever your healing is, whatever, whatever mode of healing it is. But this world is in so much pain. Yeah. There's so much beauty happening and there's so much trauma and pain. Um, my wife has an organization that 
helps to, uh, or works with survivors of domestic violence, helping to re- plug it, re- plug the organizations <laughs> free from, um, but it helps, uh, survivors of domestic violence rebuild their lives financially. Cause one of the things that's the hardest to do, one of the number one reasons why women, people don't leave domestic violence or intimate partner violence situations is because they can't afford to. Because one of the main tactics of abuse is to control somebody financially. Yeah. And so all the things that can happen, all the ways in which people can become indebted to their abuser, um, uh, becomes a major hindrance towards getting out. But then all the, the obstacles that people face once they, even if they are able to get out without being murdered or being able to get out without being, without losing completely everything, their children, their, you know, way of everything. And so, you know, we're just always in that conversation of how much there's, there's so much healing that needs to, that needs to happen. And so much healing that does happen and just so much pain, you know, and it's like, how can we hold that? How can we hold that and find beautiful ways to move through the world at the same time? Yeah. I think it's, it's the, the willingness to feel the pain, mm-hmm. A, and, uh, you know, be outside one's comfort zone, mm-hmm. you know, when they talk about growing pains, mm-hmm. you know, again, we're, we're either growing or we're dying. Mm-hmm. And, and I really do find for me, at least it was <clears throat> the fear of the unknown, And for me, like, it really does come back to most people feeling unworthy. Mm -hmm. They feel absolutely Mm -hmm. unworthy. Mm -hmm. That is, I feel, the biggest origin wound that most individuals are dealing with. Mm. That they don't think that they're worthy. And I literally can, like, hear people in response to this being like, well, no, because... But what happens when you don't feel worthy? Mm. One of two things. You either shrink into self and you turtle within and you become very, very small and almost invisible. Mm. Or you do the other thing and you peacock and you bluster. And, I'm de- I deserve this. and you get really angry and you get really rageful. Um, And that is like, again, like another covering of the truth is, is that I actually really don't feel Mm -hmm. that I'm worthy of this love, of this success, of this money, of Mm -hmm. this stability, of this comfort, of this joy, Mm -hmm. anything. Um, And, and for women in particular, I feel that idea of having to earn one's keep, Mm. you know, having to earn one's keep. And I'm sorry, guys, I'm going to talk about it again because I think it's really important. Um, But, you know, from the time girls are small in particular, that if Auntie Joni and Uncle Tommy, you know, come over to visit and it's go hug your aunt and uncle. I, I, I don't want to. I don't care what you want. Go do it. Don't be rude. Go do it. And so you're telling them in that moment that somebody else's feelings are more important than their autonomy, than their body, than their own comfort. Mm -hmm. And it slowly gets stripped away piece by piece by piece by piece by piece to the point then that 
they've never actually set the guideline for their own worth Mm -hmm. because it's always modulated by other people. Mm -hmm. This is what you're worth. You're worth 76 cents on the dollar if you're a white woman, 52 cents if you're a woman of color. Um, and, And if that gets so ingrained within yourself um and then you're courageous enough to look at it one day and be like wait a second is this actually true for me is this true is this true or is this a lie that's been handed to me by someone else and then where do you go from there and then it's the I know for me I had to go through such a grieving process Mm in regards to all of the years that I spent um, listening to others Mm. and agreeing with their estimation Mm. and value of who I was. Mm -hmm. Even if I intuitively felt that something wasn't right, Mm -hmm. it again was doubled down by whoever professionally or personally that like, nope, this is it. Like, this is who you are. And being like, well okay, well maybe, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm wrong. Like I, I guess they, they must be right. You know, I'm worth X, Y, or Z. Mm. Um, and then to stand on one's own now as a 34 year old woman who is in the deep process and discovery of knowing my worth, what Mm. that really means, Mm. um, means then that there is a freedom and the willingness to let the story die, Mm -hmm. um, let all of the limiting ideas die Mm -hmm. and letting myself die to, to a degree, Mm -hmm. you know, in order to truly be free because the story keeps you comfortable Mm. because that's part of your identity, Mm -hmm. right? Like, this is how I grew up. These are the things that I faced. This is what I did. And we become, I think, addicted to the story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, well, this is just who I am. What's interesting about the, <clears throat> the thing that you're plotting out is astrologically what happens that everybody knows about now because it's centered pop culture is that at a, from age 27 to 30, we're in our Saturn return. Mm-hmm. And that's the time where we're supposed to start to differentiate ourselves from the origins that we've, we've come in and out of. Yeah. It's a, a lot of different things. There's a, a, a great um, amount of maturity that's supposed to take place at that point. There's a, there's an idea, there's an understanding of our mortality. We're not so cute and young and perky anymore. We're like at a different place, right? We're in a different phase of our adulthood. Yeah. We, there's no turning back. We've yeah. left our twenties. We're leaving our twenties. It's happening. Yeah. Um, what are going to, what are the thirties going to be? And for a lot of us, they're a great relief because a lot of healing and a lot of, um, a lot of uh, self-acceptance is supposed to happen. But if you think about the cycles in astrology, so Saturn takes 29.5 years to come back all the way around to the point yeah. it was when you were born. That's yeah. called the Saturn return. And so every seven years, which is, which is related to the term seven-year itch, every seven years, Saturn will square itself, right? So every seven years, it'll come to a point where it's squaring itself in a, or, or opposing itself. And squares and oppositions are friction points and... Um, points of needing to integrate and balance. And so 
we, when we turn 30, we've generally completed our Saturn return and we, we've come into an understanding of a definition of ourselves. That is when we're supposed to develop a sense of sturdy self and start to say, okay, well, this is where I came from, but this is, I only have a limited time here. I'm starting to understand. And so what am I going to do with the time that I've got now I'm entering my thirties and it's a different ball game here. And then from the time of 30 to 36, 37, um, is, is this defining moment. We call it the first Saturn square. It's really the second time Saturn squared itself if we get to that age, but it, from the time of the Saturn return to that first square. So Saturn squaring itself, Saturn in the sky, squaring Saturn in your chart. And that's really the moment for us in those seven years to say, okay, what did I do at my Saturn return? What did I start to move away from? What did I start to parse out? What was I able to define in terms of what I was going to be responsible to and what I was going to start to, um, own, like, where's my authority in my own life. And for those first seven years, we're really saying to ourselves, did I really mean that? Like, am I really going to choose myself? Am I really going to, and we're moving. And then around age 36, a couple of important things happen astrologically. One of which is the Saturn square, um, is that we get this chance to, to really commit because now we're not even in our early thirties anymore by the time we're, you know, 36, 37. And so now it's kind of like a do or die thing. Like it gets more serious. The older we get, which is a Saturnian thing, the older we get, the less time we have, the more serious everything becomes. The more we realize that every choice really is that important. And every time we choose our dignity and we are responsible to ourselves, we build something. Mm. And Saturn's always like, look, if you do the work, you're going to have something tangible to work with. Yeah. That is my gift to you. And so it is a truly transformational thing to work with. But again, in that early part of the thirties, we're just like kind of toddlers getting to learn like how sturdy is this concept of self? How sturdy is my ability to rely on my own dignity and my own work ethic Mm -hmm. and my own integrity? Yes. And what does that mean? And it keeps getting tested, 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 tested. And then around the 36 mark, there's really like this pressure that happens in our life. And I really do believe if we haven't fully chosen ourselves in that moment, it gets really bleak. Mm. Because if you're in your later 30s, you start to really see the effects of not choosing yourself yeah. and of not treating yourself well. Yeah. Yeah. And it gets really depressing really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so there's that arc. And so you're, you're 34. So you're like right in the meat of that yeah. thing, yeah. right? You're right in between the two, um, the Saturn return and the Saturn square. And so you're learning these, you're learning these skills. You're picking up these things and going, oh yeah, this actually feels better than the self-hate. Yeah. But it's hard. It is a lot of work to keep choosing oneself and to keep, because every time we do that, we also have to come up against everything that's in its way. And every time we face those dark nights of the soul or those, those moments of self-rejection mm. that we ha- that is a part of ourselves too. The part that wants to reject self, the part that wants to kill self, the part that wants to do away with the pain, the part that's trying to survive in the only way it knows how, which is by trying to annihilate the self that is hurting. Yes. yes. Um, every time we, we see that and acknowledge it. We have to experience it in a way. And then, but at the same time, we're, we're building a container. We're building a sense of self. We're building a self that is 
able to witness the self-hate that able is able to witness the self-rejection that is able to witness all of the pain that this dynamic has caused us. Yeah. Um, and so if Saturn plays a big role in your chart, a lot of that stuff is going to run through the late twenties, early thirties and in big major ways. And then it really, I think from my experience, it really does shift after that. Yeah. It's so, I mean, uh, I have a big Saturn <clears throat> marker in my chart, obviously. Um, <laughs> I am, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm thinking like, oh my God, we're almost 15 minutes in and we like haven't even really talked about astrology, which I think is so funny. Um, you know, yeah, I remember, you know, so 2009, 2009 was the first time that I, 2009, 2010, yeah, 2009. I get the dates confused. Um, when I, for the first time, was really, really suicidal. Mm-hmm. And I remember I would just lie on my floor, mm-hmm. and there were these beams, these wooden beams, and I would just look at them, and that was I wonder, right? yeah, I wonder yeah. If, if these are going to hold my weight. Right. I wonder if these would hold my weight. Right. And, you know... It, I would not go back to my 20s if you paid me a billion dollars. I wouldn't. I learned so much that I'm so grateful for. And everything in my life really started to shift when I was around 30, 31. And um, if you're listening to this and your 20s suck... Yeah. Just try to hang out. Just, just hang out, man. <laughs> because I got out of, um, I was engaged mm. and ended a six year relationship. Mm. Um, like moved to LA in 2014 after living in New York for 13 years and like sold my apartment. Mm. Um, and it's interesting cause I'd called like my, my twenties, you know, from pretty much like 23 to 29, 30, like the seven year itch. Like mm-hmm. that's what it really, really felt like. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just all of these changes happened. And, and in regards to getting to choose self, it's, it's really also for me, like getting to choose love, Yeah, you know, um, getting to choose self in love And the thing that I think is so fucking awesome and so incredible. And I'm, uh, I'm just overwhelmed with, with such incredible joy is, um, getting to be able to look at the truth of the situation and for the first time, allow myself to have the feelings about it. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, my whole life, it's been very easy for me to almost hide in my spirituality mm-hmm. and that idea of, well, everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. And like, if like, you know, like I wasn't taken away from my birth mom and then I wouldn't have been adopted and then I wouldn't have been able to become an actor and then ba 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 and I wouldn't get to have the life that I have. And mm-hmm. I like love the life that I have and ba 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 ba. Um, because I felt like if I actually embraced my pain and my feelings mm-hmm. about it, um, it would somehow mean that I wasn't grateful for the life right. that I had. Right. And um, 
I never wanted to be thought of as a victim. Right. And I think that's the thing that's so funny with people that are, it's 12, 12, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> with people that are actually like quote unquote victims, you know, whether it be of, you know, um, sex trauma or mm-hmm. abandonment or just emotional violence, physical violence, um, they never want to be thought of as victims, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and I still don't, um, but getting to see that, um, in choosing me, I'm also choosing to not just choose me as an adult, but like choosing like the kid within me. Yeah. Like, you have to choose the whole thing. The whole thing. You have to choose all of it. You can't, there's not, you can't parse out parts of yourself. And so if you've worked through and work with mm-hmm. intense depression and, um, and emotions that are hard to hang out with in that healing process, you have to choose all of it. Yeah. I have to choose my self-loathing. I have to choose my self-pity. I yeah. have to choose all that stuff that yeah. keeps me stuck. Because if I don't choose it, then I can't name it and understand it and move. Yes. And get free of it. Yeah. And that that's a part of the personality that I have and that it's was a part of my uh, strategy to survive. Yeah. It served me really well for a certain time and then it stifles and suffocates my life as an adult. Yeah. And so, um, how am I able to witness it and not be, not become a victim to my yes. own self-undoing. Yes, yes, That's absolutely. the only place that I'm a victim is that <clears throat> if I get victim-y with myself. <laughs> yes, yeah. And then I'm victim to my own ability to unravel the things in my life that are good. Yeah. And so my job is to stand in, in vigilant, uh, alert witnessing yeah. what's going on. For sure. I mean, it keeps on making me think of like the last few weeks, um, I've been having dreams. I dream more of animals than I do of people. Mm. Um, and I'd been having these recurring dreams involving cats and then female lions and then, um, panthers. And, I have this deck that I use as part of my meditation every morning, which is like the goddess Oracle, which is mm-hmm. like beautiful illustrations. I remember that I'd gotten the, the Hathor card, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. was the, the thing is like to focus on pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking like Hathor sounds a lot like Heather. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then I remember I'd had like a subsequent dream um, that essentially involves Sekhmet. Mm. And I had done all of this research to see that Hathor and Sekhmet were, you know, the quote unquote, like the light self shadow self that they're one in the same mm-hmm. and that the shadow self is just as important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, if not more so mm. than, um, I feel like light self just sounds a racist. Sure. For but fuck's sakes. There's a lot of the, a lot of the, I just taught a, a course on Venus cause Venus is just retrograde and I used the, <clears throat> it's not my thought, but it, Inanna was related to the star, the planet Venus. And so Inanna has a twin sister, Ereshkigal mm. and Ereshkigal is the queen of the underworld and mm. Inanna is the queen of heaven and earth. Mm. And Inanna hears a call 
from the great below. And there's this amazing hymn that I, that we, that we journeyed through for the six weeks of Venus retrograde. And I read segments of it and then we would unpack it, um, every week, but she hears this call from the great below and she answers it by going down to see her sister and every, um, on her, on the way down, she has to stop it at seven different gates and it, every time she has to take off a piece of her adornment, a piece of her magical attire, yeah. her, her, the things that make her queen. Yes. And so by the time she gets to the underworld to meet her sister, she's bare naked yeah. and she's stripped of all of her worldly power. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that <clears throat> Anana hasn't ever been to the underworld before. And so she's all of a sudden she hears a call from the great unconscious. Right. And so she has to go and meet it. But on the way to meet it, she can't take any of her defenses. Yes. She's stripped bare of her defenses and her powers. And so she's very vulnerable. And when she meets her sister, her sister fixes the death stare on her and she dies. And what her sister does is she takes her corpse and hangs it up on a meat Meat hook hook. (laughs) to rot. (laughs) And what Inanna has done is she said to her trusty servant, Ninshabur, she said, look, if I don't come back in three days, because I know this one, like... If I don't come back in three days, go rally the gods on my behalf and send hell. And so, of course, Ninshubur is sitting at the gates of hell, basically, at the gates of the underworld. And she doesn't come back. And so she goes and she goes and she rallies the different gods. And only one god will help her. And the, the god that help her, helps her is Enki. And he takes the dirt from under his finger, fingernails and he fashions two little beings. And the two little beings are able to go down through the gates and trick all the, the, they get to like kind of slip through. And when they get to the underworld, they see Nana hanging like a corpse on, on a meat hook. And, um, her sister, Ireshkagal is moaning mm. because she's like having labor pains, but she's also grieving the death of her sister because Inanna and Ireshkagal are one and the same. They're the two sides yeah. of self. Yeah. And so she's moaning and grieving. And these two little beings that have been fashioned of fingernail dirt go, they, they walk up to her and, and she says, Oh, my insides. And they say, Oh, your insides. And then she says, Oh, my outsides. And they say, Oh, your outsides. And then she says, Oh, that, you know, she's like wailing and grieving. And all they do is mimic her. They just confirm her pain. They reflect her pain back to her. And all of a sudden she looks up and goes, who are you? If you're a God, I'll give you whatever you want. And they say, great. And then she said, do you want the food of life? And they say, no, they just want the water of life. They say, no. And they said, what do you, she says, well, what do you want? And they say, well, we want that corpse. And it's the one thing, of course, she doesn't want to give them, but she has to, because she's promised it. And so they sprinkle the water of life and the food of life on Inanna, and she comes back to life. So she's reborn in the underworld, but she hasn't ever, see, Irashkagal holds the power, that unconscious part, the subconscious, the deeper shadow self, whatever you want to call it, that self that we don't fully have a conscious relationship with. That holds great power. It's in our dreams. It's in our nightmares. It's in the, the lurking in the shadows. But until we go down and strip ourselves bare and meet that power and die to it, we don't fully understand our own conscious power. Yes. We can't remain separated. And so in order for Inanna to be actually the great queen of heaven and earth, she has to go down and die to herself, Yes, to her own you know, she can't, she can't be full of hubris, but people don't need a queen that doesn't know how to do that journey. And yes. so her way down and then back up is to mirror 
to all of us what we psychologically have to do yeah. all the time in life. Yeah. And so the queen of heaven and earth does that first for us. And so the Venus retrograde is kind of, we can work at it. We can look at it as a reflection of that. What are we being stripped down from? What are we meeting? What are we dying to? What are we being reborn to? And then her servant, Ninshubur, is like that, the trusty self, the trusty um, sidekick that, that we need to, to develop in ourselves. Like who is it within us that rallies for us? Ninshubur will not give up. She goes to one God. He won't help. She goes to another God. He won't. She goes and goes and goes and goes. There's God to be a part. And that is our agency that goes, I need help. Send help. And I won't give up until I get it. Who is going to help me here? Because you're going to be really grateful that you did. Yeah. <laughs> the queen will be really happy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of other stuff about the myth, but, uh, it's a, it's a wonderful, fascinating, important tale about how we can't be whole unless we understand both parts. Ereshkigal needs Inanna. Yeah. And Inanna needs Ereshkigal. Yeah. Ereshkigal is only the queen of the underworld because Inanna gets to be the queen of heaven. Yeah. And so it, we t- it also teaches us about the polarity and the binary that we get locked into. But we need, once we open the gateway between the two, there's less of a polarity. There's more of an integration. Yeah. There's more of a knowing of self. Without that, we are the emperor with no clothes. You know, it's like the, we're lost in the delusion of self. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man. I mean, I have a, I have a tattoo on my back that says to love is to die. Mm. Um, of course you do Scorpio. <laughs> <laughs> really? Do you? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. You know, like, um, but meaning where, where it's, I, I'm, I'm literally willing to die. I'm willing to have self die, um, in order to, be in the experience of the moment of love that I'm having. Mm. And you know, and and I've talked about this before. My whole entire life essentially was one foot in and one foot out the door. Mm. Like suicide was always an option. Mm. Sure, sure. Always on the table. If it ever got really bad. Bye. And it wasn't until this past year that I really made a commitment to life, Mm. like really made a commitment Mm. to live Mm. where, and when I make a commitment, I stick to it. So I literally handed in my Scorpio card. I handed in the death card. Mm. I was like, okay, I'm here. Mm. And I remember saying to the universe, you better make it fucking worth it. Mm. I'm making this commitment to you. You better make this commitment to me. Like I'm willing to be here. I'm willing to stay here. Um, but you really better make it worth it because I can't, I, I cannot deal with, um, the potential for that kind of pain anymore. Mm. I can't, Mm. I just can't. And what I found is that again, like in terms of the receiving, right? And it made me think of this when you were sharing the story that, yes, you can't have one without the other. And that, you know, her desire to live and to say, listen, if I don't come back, send help. And I love, of course, that it's three days. Mm -hmm. Um, Which meant that, you know, 
And I mean, I guess that like begs the question, like if I'm not back in three days, send help. Mm. Um, A, was she really willing to die in regards to, um, I don't know what I'm going to face, um, but I am willing to face it. And I, was she willing to die? I guess is the question. Do you know what I mean? Like she was willing to take off all the protective armor well, and no whatnot. One, no one never comes back from the underworld. Yeah. It's not a thing you get to do. Yeah. The only reason why she gets to do it is because she's reborn in the underworld. Yes. She's rebirthed. Yeah. They bring her back to life. Yeah. And so, yeah. I mean, there's when you, when you're called to something, a part of you knows, even if you're innocent to it or, um, or, uh, if you don't know the whole deal, the when you're called into that kind of deeper journey, you know you're going to lose something yeah. of the life you know currently. Yes. You know that you're going to have to give something up. Yeah. You don't know what it is, and you don't know how you're going to part with it or be able to live without it. Yeah. But it is something that you your soul understands that yeah. kind of call. Yeah. Um, and the three days is related to the, can be seen as related to the, the disappearance of the moon. So there's a lot of myths with the god or goddess yeah. leaving for three days. Yeah. And that's when the moon goes dark, like right before the new moon, on the new moon, and right after the new moon. Um, and so that's the rebirth, right? Yeah. And so the ancients, our ancestors were very interested in these cycles of things when planets or the moon would go missing for a couple yeah. of days. And so they've made up all these myths about what that might be about. Yeah. And then I guess it, it, it makes me think about... Um, you know, the, the shadow self, the one that is in so much pain mm-hmm. and wanting to wailing. be received yeah. and wailing and then getting to be seen. Yeah, being mirrored. Like, and it's everything. Tr- yeah, where it's, oh, you see me, it means I actually exist as opposed to being continually ignored, which mm-hmm. is where I, I feel that um, within us all. Mm-hmm. Like what resists persists, Mm -hmm. you know, like I, I don't want to think of myself as this way. I don't want to think of myself as that way. I don't want to think of myself as being selfish. I don't want to think of myself as being angry. I don't want to think of myself as being rageful. I don't want to look at the areas of my life within myself that cause myself pain or others pain Mm -hmm. or hurt or whatever it is. Mm Um, and it just made me think, though, that if she's giving up the one thing that she doesn't want to give up. And on his body? Yeah. If she's willing to give up that body because... She has to. She has to. She has no... And that's the thing, though. It's that she she could choose to stay in the pain and say, no, I don't know. This is agony and I am in so much pain, but I refuse to let it go because then that means that I lose and she wins, Mm. right? That sense of that means then that my power is lost, Mm. right? Um, So there is a moment I feel of that powerlessness and like, okay, I'm, I'm willing, I'm willing to let go because I just want this pain to stop. But then I guess the question is, then after this experience. D- well, Inanna's not allowed she- to go free. She's, if she, they, 
they say, okay, you can go up, but you got to go, you, you need to bring somebody in return for you. You can't just leave the underworld and mm. not give us a body. Okay. And what body so, is given? So she goes up. So she, she returns. With Trump. And she, she returns and she sees Ninshubur, her faithful servant. And the, the, the demons of the underworld are like surrounding her. And they're like, okay, we'll take Ninshubur. And she's like, mm. no, you can't. She's my faithful like love. She's mm-hmm. my spirit. That's Ninshubur's like yeah. part of herself. Yeah. That faithful, sincere part of self. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, fine, we'll go to one of your temples. And they go to her first temple and they see her son. And her son, so Ninshubur is dressed in the mourner's garb and has yeah. is, is been hitting herself and mourning and really like in pain that Inanna's yeah. gone. They go to her first temple, they see her first son, same thing. He's in mourner's garments. He's been yeah. mourning and they say, we'll take him. And she says, no, you can't. Yeah. He feeds me. And she, they go to the next temple, they see her next son, same thing. And she says, no, you can't take him. He, he brushes my hair, he does the thing. And then she goes to her city and she sees her husband, mm. who's, she's made king. Yes. He was just a farmer. Yeah. Right? He, Dumuzi. He was just a guy doing the cattle stuff. And they fell in love. They have this whole story. Yeah. It's beautiful. But yeah. by the time she comes back, he's like, she's like, this motherfucker doesn't even know that I've been gone. He's sitting on the throne. He's wearing all of the mm. garments that I've given him that give yeah. him powers. Yeah. And he's just reigning <sighs> like nothing's happened. She, and so she's like, take him. And so they take him and he escapes and there's this whole thing and he has a dream and there's this whole big, beautiful part of the tale but the whole thing, and then what happens is then she starts to mourn him because he's actually her, her avenue to pleasure and love. And she starts to regret it in a way. And then his sister comes and there's this whole thing. And basically what happens is she says, okay, well, Dumuzi, you go down for half the year. You go into the underworld for half the year. And then your sister goes in the underworld for the half the year. Um, Dumuzi's sister is the part of him that feels and is related. Mm. And, um, and so there's this whole kind of swapping of things. Ninshabur is the part that stays related to Inanna. <coughs> Bless Geshtinana is the, is Dumuzi's sister that stays related to him. And both Ninshabur and Geshtinana mourn the other. And so there's a way in which there's this kind of swapping. And so what happens is it's an agricultural myth. So it's, okay. it's telling the tale of when, the crops go dormant and go yes, underground. Yes, yes, right? yes. So the yes. king goes underground and yes. so the crops go underground and then he comes back and life comes back. Okay. And him and Inanna have great sex and okay. do the things. Fabulous. It's awesome. Um, but the whole piece of it is it's her awakening. She goes down into the underworld, awakens to the power of her other self, comes back up, sees she's been betrayed by her husband, loses, sends him into the underworld, and then awakens to her love and need for relatedness and thus and then she becomes kind of this bigger queen and says listen i'll strike a deal with the underworld you go down half and you go down half yeah so there's this whole kind of there's all of these levels that happen in the myth okay um but but irashkigal the goddess of the underworld the sister she doesn't transform and become sealed in any way yeah she's still hungry and she's still down there and she's still she eats clay and mud like she's 
she's an earth being. She yeah. is our instinctual nature. Yeah. She's the part of us that wants to, can I swear? Of course you that can. wants to fuck. It's yeah. not a part that is related in love. Yeah. She's that desire. Yeah. And it is an insatiable desire. She's like yeah. Lilith in that way. Yeah. She's just hungry and there's yeah. never enough. Yeah. And there is that part of us. Yeah. We have to know it though. Yes. It can't remain unknown. Yes. Otherwise it'll swallow us whole. Yes. Yes. So she doesn't change, but she's in relationship too. And she's part of the story and she's the other half of the queendom. Yeah, absolutely. Both rule. Yeah. She has ultimate power. You go down to her, you don't come back. That's it. <laughs> it's like you dead, you dead. And you, they believed in the afterworld and yeah. afterlife and yeah. there's other things that happen, but you don't come back and forth from Ereshka Gell's realm. Hmm. Once she has you, she has you, which is the same as Pluto, Hades kind of yeah. later. But that, but that to me then is terrifying. Yeah. In regards to <laughs> life is terrifying. No, but, but it's, it's terrifying in regards to, um, that idea of that part of me having more power than, I don't think it has more in, power, well, but this, that our power comes from the relationship from upper to lower. Realms. Yes. Yes. And so in that regard, mm -hmm. there is, um, there is a fluidity, right? Because at least for me, like, I know I can be very dense sometimes um, and I can like, I literally feel myself as you were talking being like, oh, right. oh no. So that means that if I like go into my own personal underworld, it means that like I'm going to stay there forever and I'm going to die and I'm never coming back. Um, but no, also it means it, that when we die, we yeah. don't get to come back into the same body. Oh yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. But the psychological aspect of Inanna going down and coming yeah. back up is what teaches us yeah. how to open that pathway and how mm. to go through that psychological process. The thing about going down into the underworld and not coming back is literally about death. Okay. There had to be an explanation okay. for what happened to our okay. soul after our body expired. Okay. Cause so I, there's different things going on. Yeah. Cause it's I, not all psychological. Okay. Some of it's just explaining like crops and yeah. life and death. Okay. Okay. I take, I take things very, <laughs> it's not all personal. Yeah, no, but just in regard to just like metaphysically, spiritually, all of this stuff, um, you know, cause it's, <clears throat> I'm more than willing. I'm more than willing, I think than ever before to meet, um, and to embrace and hold dear mm. that shadow self. Mm. And that, um, just like any other being, it's just, I want to be received, mm -hmm. you know, and that it is okay to have that desire. Cause that to me has been, I think the biggest opportunity for growth in like the last bit mm -hmm. is that I'm allowed to choose pleasure. Mm -hmm. I'm allowed to be in my pleasure, which means that I'm allowed to be in my power. Mm -hmm. I, I get to make that choice. I get to be in it and I get to feel the pleasure in the power mm -hmm. and I get to feel the power in the pleasure. They're mm -hmm. to me like synonymous mm -hmm. and, <clears throat> and I feel like especially in this country, um, and especially for women, we've been taught that it is not okay to be in your pleasure. Mm. 
It is not okay to be in your power. You can be in your power to a certain degree, but only up until that. You're allowed to be in your pleasure to a certain degree, but that too needs to be regulated. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you've read the uh, Women Who Run With Wolves, Mm -hmm. you know, and that idea of the wild woman, you know, and we regulate that wild woman. We regulate that insatiable thirst and hunger and really wanting to fuck Mm. and be like in the fucking grass and in the dirt and Mm. getting dirty and just fucking like Mm. fucking and primal um and being told that that's wrong Mm -hmm. being told we're not allowed to have that experience because that makes us dirty. It makes us impure. It makes us not good girls. It, it makes us sluts. It makes us whores. It makes us this, it makes us that. And not wanting to be those things. It's, Oh, I feel this. I feel this thing. So it's the, there's a shame that comes with the pleasure. Mm -hmm. You know, um, <clears throat> and, and that to me was like why it took me such a long time to even get into that shadow self, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Shame is a really tricky thing to work with and not get caught up in and to be conscious of where we hold shame in our body and what triggers it and what that means for us as a is a whole, you know, aspect of healing. It's, it's, uh, I think one of the more important ones because shame binds us. It holds us. It, it, uh, is immobilizing in a way. Um, and it is, it's, you know, shame can be, uh, a healthy part of a process of learning what is okay and what's not, but it's not, um, helpful past that. It's not helpful to hold, it's not helpful to um, buy into. It's not helpful not to interrogate. Yeah, for sure. And with that too, when you said like what's healthy and what's not, and it's compared to who, mm. do you know what I mean? Mm. So like I I grew up Roman Catholic mm. and knew that I liked girls from the time, mm. I mean, God knows how long, mm. always knew, mm. um, but was that you're going to go to hell. That's wrong. Mm. It's not right. Mm. You know, so... Um, yeah. Everybody has this different idea of what shameful is yeah. and what is right and what is wrong. Yeah. And unpacking the shame of uh, unpacking the shame of homophobia is really it's really deep. I mean it's it's because uh, it, it intersects in so many different ways, right? You've and depending on how we're how we identify and how we um uh what gender expression, uh, is right for us and how that, how the world receives that all those different aspects and layers get compounded. But, um, the way in which we've been indoctrinated with how dirty and immoral and wrong, uh, any kind of queerness is, is runs through every aspect of life. And it's, it's amazing how how long it takes to root it out 
I, I still feel it. I feel it mm. all the time. Like when I'm walking through the world with my wife, there's a, then it intersects with fear, right? Like, do I want to hold her hand right now and have to deal with the men in the room that are going to stare or look or change their way of being? Yeah. Do I want do you know, and like, am I making some, the, the thoughts of like, am I making somebody uncomfortable? Do I want to reveal that part of myself? All those deep psychological things go off in me all the time. There's mm. no way of walking through the world with my wife that doesn't, that feels totally natural. And I don't think about it unless I'm in San Francisco, Wow! <laughs> but it's never not a thought for me. Wow. It, you don't have that. Do you know what? I, I, uh, I fear for our safety sometimes. Yeah. I'm, I'm always on the lookout. Yeah. I'm always thinking this is impacting people in a way Yeah. that, heterosexuality doesn't ever have to yeah, think about for sure. Absolutely. Unless there's a, yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, uh, for years, you know, would feel uncomfortable, mm. you know, in New York and, um, and, and I, I get to look back to like where I am now. And I think it's an amalgamation of things. Mm. I, I don't even have like a second thought mm. um, when I hold my love's hand mm. and like walk down the street or whatever it you, is. You don't register anything. I, I don't because for me it doesn't matter because you know what? Your comfortability is not my business because I'm not living my life for you. Mm-hmm. I'm living my life for me. And I am in this experience and this expression of such love that, um, like that's really all there is. And also, and this is just like, for me, I've really stopped giving a fuck Mm -hmm. what other people think. Mm -hmm. Like I don't give a fuck. And I know that like her and I just went on a trip to Vegas And it was the first time I'd ever been to Vegas. I'd never been to Vegas before. Um, And I remember sitting at this bar and there were these two dudes that came up on this side. And, you know, fratty bro dudes in their Mm. 40s fucking gagged me with a spoon. And I remember having a moment of bristling and feeling uncomfortable, not because of her demonstration of love, but just in regards to feeling that my personal boundaries were being violated. I feel like that every time I see most men. Yeah. And (laughs) I bristle at most straight cis guys is I just bristle. I'm just like, what? What do you, what? Yeah. How much space are you going to take up? What are you going to say, do? What the fuck are you looking at? Like, yeah, it's mostly... I'm mostly, I'm just in protective mode. Yes, absolutely. So that, that's what I'm, that, you know, like sometimes I'm in the different, depending on the cultural context that we're in or whatever, but, um, mostly I'm just looking for any danger. Yes, absolutely. And I might be just hypervigilant about it, but probably not. (laughs) No, I, I get it. And I guess that's the thing is that it's the first time, um, And I, I just had this experience. I like smoked pot for the first time in 14 years Mm. the other day. Mm. And my history 
with weed was always I would smoke it and then I would get very paranoid and uh, just so paranoid. And it was the first time I had had the experience where, oh my gosh, I feel so safe. Mm. There is like such a new sense of safety that I feel in my life, um, in my beingness. I feel such a sacred sense of safety Mm. that, um, and that doesn't mean that I'm being reckless and it doesn't mean that I'm like walking in the middle of the street and like, ba, 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 ba. Um, but the sacred sense of safety comes from, I know I'm safe and I know I'm taken care of and therefore I don't need to be on the lookout in regards to how I demonstrate my love with the person that I'm with. And, and that is really, really new. It's the first time that I haven't cared. It's the first time that I am not actively clocking every single person that's around me for a potential or perceived threat. And if they end up, I've found my voice. So in those moments that people do step into my space, like I call it durgaing. Like mm. a Durga, I just set the boundary. Mm. Like, don't know, not today, mm-hmm. not today. Yeah, that's also. I mean, that it also intersects with like white privilege and cis privilege, and you know, like there's that is not something that everybody here can say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. It's um, I'm. Like, A, I'm grateful that, like, you talked about that because I feel like I, save for the, you know, podcast that I did with Shane, I've talked about white privilege, cis privilege, um, every single episode because it is so incredibly important and I don't think it gets talked about enough. Um, By white people. By white people, (laughs) to be clear. Um, (laughs) No, like I'm, I'm very aware of the privileges that I, um, have been afforded mm-hmm. to be able to walk down the street with my girlfriend holding her hand and feeling safe mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> you know, I know that not everyone has that quote unquote luxury not everyone has that privilege, um, which is why, you know, I'll, I'll be like fully forthright and honest. Mm. I'm much more aware and cognizant because I'm not worrying about myself anymore. Mm. I'm much more cognizant, aware of clocking individuals that, um, may, be crossing the boundaries of other people that I love and care about, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it is a woman of color, you know, uh, uh, any person of color, Mm -hmm. you know, um, especially if they get pulled over by a police officer Mm -hmm. and stopping and waiting, Mm -hmm. you know, um, whatever it is Mm -hmm. and not doing it with like a tipper tape parade of like, look at me, Mm -hmm. 
you know, um, or individuals that are trans, you know, individuals that are not quote unquote conforming to like the typical gender fucking bullshit roles. I feel like I, I get to be not a watchdog, but I get to, and I don't want to even use the fucking word ally. I get to know that I get to utilize my power to come up and be like, nope, divert whatever situation, um, is going on. If that may, like, I feel like I sound like such a fucking asshole when I'm saying it <laughs> and I, and I, I'm not like explaining it correctly, but meaning right after it the, it sounds like to me, what I hear is that you have a new experience of safety within yourself. That yes. You feel safer in your yes. own self with yourself. Yes. And that, that affords you the ability to be more present. Yes. And when you're able to be more present, you're able to witness what's actually happening for other people, not just yourself. Absolutely. So that you're able to take in what's occurring in the environment around yeah. you. Yeah. And then take action if necessary. Mm-hmm. I remember right after the election, um, I was driving down Beverly Boulevard and there was this fucking old white male fuckhead um, who had gotten out of his car and was braiding this Asian woman she was just trying to cross Beverly. I remember I like, I stopped my car and I got out of the car. Um, and I started to walk up, but by that time, like she had already, um, she had already done the thing and he was getting in his car and leaving, but it's the, I can't afford not to stop. I can't afford not to speak out. I can't afford not to, I don't care if I'm running to a meeting. I don't care if I'm running late. You know, if I witness something in that way, I feel like I have a responsibility to stop. I have a responsibility to, like, say something, to get in between, Mm -hmm. focus on the one that's being harassed, focus on the one that's being victimized, Mm -hmm. you know, um... Cause that I think is like how we like get through this world today. It's, mm-hmm. you know, um, I feel like most people just ignore it. They don't say anything. They don't, mm-hmm. you know, um, my life is bigger than me. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. my life is bigger than me. It's not just for me anymore. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. on that note, um, <laughs> I ask a question to every single one of my guests and I amended it from the first few episodes to now, but when was the last time that you shut up and listened to your intuition and what did your intuition say and what was the result? I mean, it's... I feel like a lot of how I function and write and work is through intuition. So I I don't know if I can parse out a specific thing that, um, I mean, 
trying to think of a good example. I feel like the, the way that I live my life and the way that my wife and I relate and live our life is all through watching for how the world in our life intersects with what it is we're working on and working through, Mm -hmm. which is a very intuitive process in a way. So I feel like it's all, it's, it's so intertwined that I don't, I don't know if, if I think of something, I'll say it, but I don't, I don't know if I have a good example. I feel like that's how I work (laughs) throughout my days, all day, every day. So like, that's how I write. That's how I function in my business. Um, but I don't know if I have any like glamorous, uh, examples. All right. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, again, I'm so grateful to have had this time. Thank you everybody. Um, I hope that you enjoyed this again, Shani Nichols.com. Nicholas. Nicholas. C-H-A-N-I-N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S. I I feel like an asshole. (laughs) Um, but like, nobody gets my name right in any way. Yeah. Like Nicholas Matarazzo. (laughs) Like, yeah. Okay. I feel less bad. Um, but just, I read her every week. She literally gives me life. Um, and yeah. Bye guys. Talk to you soon.